Alright. We're in Philippians 2. Philippians 2 has already given us a model, and it's a model of humility. And we've seen that um, produced by Jesus Christ, obviously, uh, in the life and in His work, work on the cross, work uh, that He had while He was living here, but definitely all the way to the point of death. He is the supreme epitome of humility, is He not? Our Jesus, uh, the Lord. He's an example for everything. We look to Him in everything that we do. He is the one who came here. And we are being conformed to that image of Jesus Christ as He was not only God, but as man. And we become in the very image of Him. As we humble ourselves and as we esteem others higher than ourselves, chapter 2 has definitely brought that forth. We are to edify the body of Christ. That's what the church is about. To edify, to build each other up. And uh, he, he has equipped us um, as we look at Christ and His life and His work and His sacrifice. We see a supernatural example. 100% God, 100% man. And we can never say, yes, but He was God. And yes, He could do that. But I'm only man. And how can He expect me to do the things that He tells me to do? Because He's God and I'm not. Right? How many times have you heard people say that? Uh, I'm just human. How could God ever expect me to sacrifice and serve? And that's dealing with our title today, Sacrifice and Service. Um, But the answer has already been given in that He is a man and He felt everything that we feel. He took on the humanness. Absolutely. And so He is our example. Uh, He's our model. He is who we follow because He is what it's all about. We're to be Christ-like because of what He has done at the cross. He proved it there, right? Next week, we get to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And, uh, of course, that is like a supreme Lord's Day of all the year, isn't it? The resurrection of Christ. And uh, we see that perfect uh, empowerment that He had. But did you know, because of that same power that He had, as the Holy Spirit brought Him out of that death and burial, as He rose from the dead, He has empowered us, equipped us to be able to live this Christ-like life. We have the ability to do that. It's incredible. And not in a legalistic way, but the Holy Spirit way. And so Christ is our example to live a godly life as we look at our Savior. Now also, in Philippians, we have other examples. We just don't have Christ to look at, even though that's all we need, but He gives us other humans to look at so we can imitate Christ. Um, Apostle Paul is one to follow also. As, as we see throughout the epistles, we find out that He says to follow Me. And we saw His an example as He mentioned at the end of the last section that we were at last week in verse 17 and 18 in chapter 2. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, He was being poured out on that offering. There it was Him who sacrificed Himself He says, I rejoice, share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. 
So this letter is about that joy, right? What an example he is. And remember, he's in prison. We mention that every week. Imitate Christ. Imitate Paul, who was a man. And so he ministered to all these thousands and thousands of people. And he calls Christians to imitate him. Now, that gives us two examples. We have Christ to look at. And we have the Apostle Paul to look at. Well, people might say, yeah, but Paul is an apostle chosen by Christ. And so, you know, we have Christ, he's God, and we have Paul, he's an apostle. I can't be like him. I can't service and sacrifice as he did. No way. I'm I'm not him. I was not born that way. Well, see, there's another one. Timothy. And Timothy is a servant of God. Timothy is a great model. He's an ordinary saint. He's like us. Matter of fact, we, he is considered to be young. How young it is, we don't know. Teens, 20s, 30s. But anyway, he was, he was ordinary in the sense that he was not called as an apostle. He's certainly not an angel and he's not God. And the Lord developed the mind of Christ in him. You remember earlier in Philippians, let this mind be in you. Right? The mind of Christ. Did you know that we are called to have the mind of Christ? Did you know we have the mind of Christ? Did you know that we're to practice that mind of Christ? We are to think like Christ thinks. How can that be? That's incredible. That's amazing. But yet, here's Timothy. He did it. And so he became a servant that Paul trusted. And he is a pattern that we can trace. So who do we have? We have Christ as an example. We have the Apostle Paul as an example. Now we have Timothy and say, yeah, but he studied under Paul. And he followed him everywhere he went. And of course he did. He had no choice. The Apostle Paul was breathing down his neck. So, you know, I can't be like him. I was not following. Well, you have another guy. This guy is ordinary, ordinary. His name, matter of fact, a lot of you probably can't even say his name. I don't even know if I can say his name right. Epaphroditus is his name. Another example. And, you know, I believe he's one of the best examples we have in, in the Bible about what totally dedicated services. You say, listen, I don't mind serving a little bit, but I'm not going to commit everything of my life to this. I'm not going to commit everything to Christ. I have my own life to live. You know, I've got to go home and do this and got to do that. I've got things I've got to do. <laughs> right? They say, I can't commit my life to the church. You know, I've got things I've got to do. You know, I've got work and I've got this. And total dedicated service to Christ and the church. And we've seen Christ gave up his life for that. Paul, who gave up his life for that. Timothy, who, was, who threw it all out for that. And Epaphroditus was ready to die for the saints, for the church. I'm telling you, folks. We have an example that's set before us here today just looking at Timothy and Epaphroditus. We've already seen Christ. We have seen um, Paul. We keep our eye on Christ as we look at these guys. But I want to tell you today, in this, in this text, there is no profound doctrine. <laughs> There's nothing here that you're going to hear that is really new at all. You're not going to find any really precious jewels as we dig into this. You can say, well, yes, he used to be here. I want to find out something here that's really really good that I haven't learned before. Well, true. But here's what we can learn. 
we can learn a lot from these two men that have been presented here as patterns for us of how we are to live and they're just human. They're just people. They're examples. They're extreme examples that all Christians are to be like. I'm not kidding you. God is calling us to do this. Okay, now, with all that, are you ready? Let's stand. You get to take a stretch. And we get to honor God's Word as we read this before us. Philippians 2, verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of His proven worth that He served with me in the furtherance of the Gospel like a child serving His Father. Therefore, I hope to send Him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. There's Timothy. Now, Epaphroditus. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice that I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your precious Holy Word. May it make an impact on every one of our lives here today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, let's, uh, let's tie into the text here. Verse 19. Uh, two examples. Two examples. Yeah, yeah, two points, right? Example of Timothy. The example of Epaphroditus. Thomas Brooks said one time, Example is the most powerful rhetoric. Do you get that? My living, my serving, speaks even louder than my words. It's not not that we're not to be talking. We are. We are to be proclaiming this Gospel with our mouth, as it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10. We confess with our mouth, right? But we back that up by our example of our living. The single greatest tool in being a servant of God and in leading actually is your example. That is the best thing you have because then when you speak the Word it will mean something. Timothy certainly is an example of this. We see his life and we see how his doctrine is as he studied under Paul. Now, if you uh, were to turn to 1 Corinthians 4.17, we see a little bit, we're going to look a little bit about Timothy here, look a few passages up. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, I'm sorry. There, um, Paul is writing the Corinthian church, and 
Guess who he's sending to them? For this reason, he says, I want to exhort you. I want you to be imitators of me. He says in verse 16, I should have read that. Do you see that? Be imitators of me. This is what Paul says. And I'm sending Timothy to you. For this reason, I sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. He's going to be teaching what I taught. He's going to be teaching the exact same thing. Isn't that great? He's going to, he trusts in Timothy so much that Timothy is a voice for Paul himself. So it's just like the Apostle Paul coming to them. And uh, so when he's there, he is like a reproduction of Paul, who is a reproduction of Jesus Christ. He has the Word of God for them. And you'll notice what Paul calls him? Beloved and faithful child in the Lord. It's very possible that Paul led him to Christ as he had information from the Old Testament and he had knowledge of who God was, but maybe Paul came in as he saw him as a son in the faith. That's the way that he saw him quite frequently. Um, I'm not going to turn there. It's a, basically a whole chapter or a lot of it. It's in chapter 14. In Acts 14, uh, there's Lystra and Derbe, um, that area where Paul went on a missionary journey. And that's where Timothy is from. He was from that area. And possibly right there in chapter 14 could have been where Timothy became converted, where he became a Christian as Paul came in there, presented that gospel, put it all together, and he comes to Christ. Then Paul leads, leaves him there, and then later on another trip, on a missionary journey, he sees Timothy who has grown in the Lord and then he takes him with him. He wasn't ready to go yet. He was too young in the faith. He wanted to be built up. He, you know, he's not ready to go out on a missionary journey. You must know um, good doctrine before you go out there. So go to Second Timothy chapter one and verse two. Just looking at uh, Timothy a little bit here, so we can remind ourselves what he's about. Here is Paul writing, and he says in verse two to Timothy. My beloved son. There again, he calls him a son. Now, it's not really his earthly son. He has another father. But Paul's calling him son. My beloved son. I think that's telling us something. This is the second time we've seen it. We've seen it in Corinthians, and now we see it also here in in 2 Timothy. Now, while you're in verse uh, 2, how about moving on down to verse 3? I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. He's writing to Timothy, right? This is a pastoral letter. Longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. I want joy. I long to see you, Timothy, my son in the faith. Here we go, verse 5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. I know about your true, genuine, sincere faith, which first, look at this, dwell in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure that it's in you as well. He says, I'm mindful of that true faith which was in your grandmother and your mother. And I know it's in you as well. 
So that's how he starts. So we know that he, he got trained and he was read uh, the Scriptures and knew about that. And then Paul calls him my own dear beloved son in the faith. And when he sends him out, he knows exactly what Timothy is going to give them. Nothing but the unadulterated Word of God that Paul had gotten who handed it down to Timothy. Now we go to Acts 16, first four verses, and we learn a little bit more. Remember, Acts 14 is probably where Paul met Timothy. Acts 16, Timothy is visited by Paul and Silas. Verse 1, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. Now we're in the area of where Timothy's from. And a disciple was there named Timothy. Here he is. We didn't see him mentioned before in Acts. Now he's, he pops up. He's a disciple. What's that mean? Mathetas. Math. Learner. You learn, right? Mathetas. A learner. A disciple. He follows. He follows Christ. He follows the truth. He's the son, look at this, of a Jewish woman who was a believer And in Timothy's letter, we saw that that was the case. But his father was a Greek, a Gentile. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go go with him. Okay, this learner, this disciple, who was very genuine in the faith, Paul sees how much he's advanced in the faith and he says, come with me. We're going to go on a journey. He took him, circumcised him, because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And it's kind of interesting, he has a Jewish mother, so he can be considered Jewish and a Christian also. It's not going to present problems when he comes into the Jews because he has been circumcised, but yet he's a Christian too. Paul had that same advantage. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened and the faith were increasing in number daily. Paul, Silas, and here's Timothy. And man, this is early on. Wouldn't you have loved to just been inside that church or, or where they were meeting and see those guys? You hadn't been a church very long and there comes Paul back. Now he's got another, you know, he's got another guy with him. He's got Silas there preaching along with him, and uh, Timothy is there, has already been there, and he's going to go out with them. Wow, what a great deal! Timothy is one of Paul's fellow laborers, a tremendous laborer. Tim- Timothy also is well beloved by the Philippians, and you'll notice as you go through 16 when Timothy joins them. They, uh, you have the Macedonian call. And then we go to Philippi where Lydia, remember Lydia, the seller of purple? That's where she became a Christian. And then we also see the Philippian jailer become a Christian. And other people then became a Christian. They had gatherings. And guess what? You have a church there in Philippi, which is the letter that Paul's writing now that we're studying for the last few weeks, right? So now this is all coming together as Paul mentions Timothy in our epistle of the Philippians. Does that help? A lot of background, taking time, but it's good to refresh your mind what's going on. Now there's an object that Paul has in mind as he writes to the Philippians. 
He has an object. He's in prison. He's not in Philippi. He's in Rome. Timothy there in Rome also is going to be going to Philippi. And Epaphroditus is also there in Rome. This is incredible. You have Paul and you have Timothy and Epaphroditus. All three of them right there in jail. Although Timothy and Epaphroditus are free. Paul is not. Paul can't return to Philippians. He's locked up. He's all tied up. But he has affection. He has affections for his brothers and sisters at Philippi. Oh, he loves them so much. And he wanted to see spiritual growth. So his object is the fact that I want to know how they're doing. I'm really concerned about them. And I want to know how they're doing spiritually. Don't you guys always have a concern for people in the body of Christ, starting with your, your own family and then in your church? Don't you have a concern of how people are developing? And, and that's what Paul always had. That's the way it should be. Um, so Paul really has no other option. He has to send somebody to Philippi. They're concerned about him. He's concerned about them. Epaphroditus has been sent from where? Philippi. To Rome. It's almost like he dies going there because of his sacrifice and service. And now Paul is going to send Epaphroditus back along with Timothy. Now that's, this, is, uh, this is ministry in action. This is, this is how it works. So we, we turn to our Philippians uh, 2.19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus. Send Timothy. I hope in the Lord. Um, you notice, he really, I think, is recognizing the sovereignty of God. And my, his hope is solid. His hope is in Christ. His hope is in the Lord. And so Paul understands sovereignty, doesn't he? And that this is God's will here. Uh, he was constantly submitting to the will of God. That was Paul's life. If this be the Lord willing. Right? It reminds you of James, remember? Uh, I'll go do a business and I'll go likewise and I'll do this and do that. Uh, well, no, we first should be realizing that if this be the Lord's will, the Lord willing, right, that I do this. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but the Lord willing, this is what I have planned. And so, as, as he says, this is a hope there. Uh, we never presume upon God's will. We want what He wants. So He really wants the Philippians to be encouraged. He wants to be encouraged. Um, there's an assisting there that Timothy can be doing as he goes to Philippi. Um, so, um, we see Timothy. Um, he is known by the Philippians. He's well known. He's well loved by the Philippians. They know him well. He's been there before. And they long to see Paul, but they would long to see Timothy too. Oh, great, Timothy's showing up. We know Paul can't make it, but look, this is, this is almost as good as it gets. Timothy's here. They had known him almost as long as they'd known Paul. So, hey, this is good. A second favorite. Okay. Right? So, a right choice. Paul is very anxious to get him out because he wants to know how they're doing. What's that report? Do you think that Paul had a real trust in Timothy to do this? Absolutely. Timothy's not going to bail. 
how wonderful. I want to see how wonderful you're doing. He says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also might be encouraged when I learn of your condition. It's like he's almost saying, I know everything is okay, everything is great, everything is wonderful, everything is good. Love always thinks the best of people, right? Love believes the best. Hopes. When it can't believe, it still has hope. <laughs> All the way down in First Corinthians 13. It still believes that one in this sense, he, he really is believing the best in them and how great that they are and that he will be encouraged. And in, in, the, in the word, uh, be encouraged while learning your condition is dealing with a joy, a happiness, that I'll be made happy here because of you. Um, because of the matter of unity. He was concerned about they wouldn't have unity there. And remember, that's what Philippians is much about, isn't it? That they would have unity in the faith. We've already seen that in chapter 1 and chapter 2. That they would be able to continue and persevere through the persecution that they might have. And false doctrine that would come along. And we'll be addressing that as we we continue on, especially in chapter 3. As he wrote about the dogs. Beware of the dogs. So, he wants to be glad of heart. He knows he will be. A dear congregation. Now I move to verse 20. For I have no one else of kindred spirit, is our key word, who will generally be concerned for your welfare. Isosuke. Isosuke, a two-part word. It means to be similar. He says, uh, I have no one else of similar spirit. Like me. I have no one else like that. Timothy had the same kind of thinking. The same thinking that Paul had. Their spirits were similar. Okay, so he's genuinely interested. And he says, I have no one else in that sense. Uh, Timothy was the only one like him. Now remember, there's others. And of course, we know Epaphroditus is coming. And there are also other ones too that were there at Rome. When it comes down to someone whose heart beats like mine... I have no one else. His heart, his spiritual fervor, his beating, just like mine. I'm spending him, sending him out, and um, I want to produce. I want to have more productions of that there in Philippi. Uh, he was an imitator of Paul. First uh, Corinthians four sixteen says. And we read this earlier. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. That's us. That's the Corinthians. But it also applies to us as we look at that text. And it definitely applies here to Timothy. So he was similar to the apostolic model here. Attitude, passion, heart. Do we have passion for the things of the Lord? That's what our lives are about. That's the only reason we exist. Uh, also in verse 20, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Paul is saying that he was so concerned about them that he would send the best student that he had to be like the teacher. Didn't Jesus say something like that? The student has to be like his teacher. Whatever the teacher teaches, that is what the student 
is to learn and then to be like. He wants to be like his teacher. He's the protege of Paul. A reproduction of Paul. That's what Tim, uh, Paul wanted to set up as he wrote Second Timothy, as he wrote that last pastoral letter. As he knew that his days were short and there needed to be someone else to be able to pass that torch to. And he's kind of already done that. He's a very sympathetic person. Very concerned. It's one thing to have all the doctrine, but to really have the love, the sympathy, the compassion, and not be indifferent about the people. That's where Timothy was at. And he had learned that from Paul. Compassion, folks. The sincerity, the genuineness of it all. Now we'll move on to verse 21. For they all... Look at this. This is kind of an incredible verse here. For they all seek after their own interests. Not those of Christ Jesus. There are a lot of people in Rome. There's a church there in Rome, isn't there? There's a lot of people in Rome who are Christians in the church that were really not willing to serve. They were really not willing to do the call that was there. None were available to make the trip. We know that Timothy is the best one to send. That's why he's doing that. And remember, there are special brethren that are attending Paul. We're not saying everybody there uh, all were, had gone astray and uh, gone aloof and, and left Paul. But, you know, so it all, all excludes every exception. You know, there's, there are people like Luke and Aristarchus uh, there that are probably with him. Maybe some other brethren that have been dispatched to some other duty or will be. But he's saying, there's nobody else. They're seeking after their own interest. Go to 2 Timothy 1.15. You are aware of the fact... Look at this. Some people were leaving him though. This is sad. You're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me? And I don't know who all they were, but this is sad. Among them whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. How would you like to be mentioned in Scripture with, like these two names? Guys were hanging around with Paul and assisting them and all of a sudden, what did they do? They turned away. I don't know why, but they turned away. Look in Romans 16. Here are some of the people in the church at Rome. Now I'm not saying Priscilla and Aquila turned away. They have some have their own. They're calling and they can't go. But look at all the people here that are at the church there. You have Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the churches in their house. So they're, they're having church right there. They're doing their thing. Paul can't send them. He's not, he's not giving derogatory terms on everybody here. But I have to wonder at some of these. Greet Ephenatus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. So there's some outstanding ones and such. Greet Ampelatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my fellow worker in Christ. And Statius, my beloved. Greet Apellus, and approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Trif- We can go on and on. There are a lot of people there in the church I don't know who the ones he's talking about, but 
some of them weren't willing to go to Philippi or other places for that matter. I don't know if it was any of them. But he does mention some significant names there, people we don't even know. But I want to tell you, a lot of those people in Rome didn't have the interest for other people. Who were they serving? Their own interest. And what does uh, Paul in Philippians 2 he say? You he, say, you mean Christians are that way? You mean there are Christians who just basically live for themselves? Well, it's sad, but that's right. And that is a shame. Because in Philippians 2, he says in verse 21, look at verse 20. No, no, no. We're going to go back. Um, Chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but what? Also for the interest of others. Everybody knows that. Is this new doctrine? (laughs) He's saying there's people here in Rome that are really not out for the interest of others. It's for their own self-interest. You've got to be kidding me. Paul, people don't do that. That's not Christians. Well, sad to say it happens. Paul didn't have anybody else he could send out there. I have no one like me. They all seek after their own interest. Demas had forsaken him, having loved the present world. At my first defense, no one was at my side, but all deserted me. That's not saying every, absolutely everybody that was falling, but a lot of them did. A lot of them bailed out. I mean, the very people whom he expected help from in his trials, in, in the times that he was going through difficult situations, and they all just bailed out. The pressure's on Timothy. <laughs> Timothy was interested in the spiritual condition of the other people. Wow. He looked after her own interest. Timothy was interested. How many things do we give up for the Lord Jesus Christ? How many things do we have driving in our lives that take the place of serving in the church? Do we give up any of our comforts for Jesus Christ? Do we ever run to defend our reputation? Do we ever look after our own interest? As a result, we lose the larger things of Jesus Christ. We start seeking our own things rather than His things. The best interest of others. I think what Paul said here had to be convicting. If some of those people in Rome read this letter to the Philippians, they would have said, Oh, he's right. He's right. I need to be looking out for the interest of others. Paul's interest, Timothy's interest, Epaphroditus' interest. What can I do to serve him? What can I do to serve the church? What can I do? Let me tell you. <laughs> There's a lot of opportunity, folks. And if you want to know, just, just ask some people. Say, hey, how can I serve you? What, what can I do for you? Do that. Don't, don't be looking at yourself and saying, I, I'm, I'm not getting served. Look to serve. Look to serve. Verse 22. But you know of His proven worth 
that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Wow. What kind of training did Timothy have? He had the best. He had the very Word of God taught to him by Paul. He also had others there in his hometown. When Paul took him under his wing, he taught him everything that he knew. As much time as he had. The reason Timothy was interested in the spiritual condition of the Philippians was how he was trained. And we should be trained in how to be able to go to others. Who he was trained by really mattered, didn't it? Paul left him at Derby, left him at Lystra, that area, after he was converted, came back, picked him up. He developed him after that. And Paul was happy to discover that Timothy was well reported of. People knew that he was a man of God. He was seasoned. However long that was when Paul came back, Paul enlists him, takes him on the journey, and he lets him watch him do the work. He lets him see him do the apostolic ministry. He saw it for himself how an apostle works, how a servant works. And he saw Paul give up things. It wasn't that he was treated in royalty as he came into towns where people just saluted him and laid out the red carpet. It was quite the opposite, wasn't it? A servant is lowly. And he got treated rather harshly. Timothy saw that. But this was an action. It was an action. But you know of his proven worth. The word for proven is dealing with test. He says, you know about him. He was tested. Uh, a doc- a Dokimos is the word. Dokimos. It means to be approved after the test has been there. It's what you do with gold. It has dross on it. You're going for the pure gold, so you want to get off and show what is really genuine and true. And so that's what happened to Timothy. He was proven by the people. They knew that his ministry was for real. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. And he's talking about, okay, here are people who serve the Lord, and this happens to be with pastors, elders, bishops, overseers, different names there, but... Verse 6, he says, and not a new convert. You don't want somebody that's brand new in the faith. They have time that they have to, to take and learn. You just don't send them out. Someone is a baseball player, a baseball star, Hollywood star. They become a Christian and within the first month, people want to send them out and tell their testimony to all the churches. Tell how wonderful that they chose Jesus Christ. That's usually what happens. You know what happens in a, in a few years? Hey, whatever happened to so-and-so? Huh. Oh, they left the faith. Well, they didn't get doctrinally trained. They really didn't know the Word. They told. They just knew about what salvation is supposed to be, and even that, they didn't even get it right. And a lot of them just filter out. But he says, don't be a new convert. You don't want, to, you don't want an elder who's brand new Christian so that he will not become, what? Conceited. Prideful. And fall in the condemnation incurred by the devil. That's what the devil loves, right? Pride comes with a fall. He knows how pride works. <laughs> that was his problem, wasn't it? 
he had the pride Lucifer fell because of that. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall under reproach in the snare of the devil. So he must not be prideful and he must have a good testimony before the church and outside the church. Give him time. And by this time, uh, he, he was. He's proven worth that he served with me. And that word served with me means, it's not doulos here, but it's another Greek word. It means to slave. He slaved with me. Timothy slaved with me. I'm a slave. Timothy slave. As, as we served, we, we slaved. Uh, he had the mentality of a son serving his father and he submits to his father not a forced submission, but an, he has a respect for his father. Well, he was the father in the faith. Timothy looked up to Timothy, and so therefore he served as Paul served, giving him up, up himself. Um, both servants of God, they slaved side by side. Brothers in Christ, but yet here is a father-son relationship in that sense spiritually too, because of what he had taught him. Um, verse 22 also says that he served with me in what? The furtherance of the gospel. That's what they did. That's what the church does. That's why we're here 2,000 years later. God has had a continual line for 2,000 years in the church to further the gospel. It's had its weak times, it's had its strong times, but here we are today because the gospel got furthered and God's means are people, servants, slaves, us, today. Keep it going. Furtherance of the gospel. Paul says, I'm in prison. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. The gospel's being furthered as I'm in prison. We've already seen that in chapter 1, right? Got to like that. The furtherance of the gospel. He was consumed to sacrifice his life. That's what Timothy was about. For the cause of evangelism. To sacrifice. Verse 23, Therefore, because of that, I hope to send him immediately, right now, as soon as I see, see things how are going to go with me. He doesn't know exactly what they're going to do with him in, in prison there. We're going to see what happens, but uh, as soon as we find out here, Timothy's coming. Um, so he was, was ready. Verse 24, And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Okay, He's going to be coming, and I trust that I'll be coming along too. Paul knew his plans were always subject to the Lord. And so he says here, um, I trust in the Lord that this will happen. I'm not going to be able to make it happen. But in the meantime, we know in Acts 28.30, people were coming from all around to where he was at. What better situation would you want of being in a, in a place where people come to you to get taught to the Word? I mean, he didn't have to go anywhere. He's right there in jail, Acts 28 is saying, and he's ministering to people. <laughs> what a great situation. Can't think of anything better there. Philippians 1.25, you don't have to turn very far to that one. Uh, it says, Vincent, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And there he's talking about uh, living on in, in, in the flesh. Living here. You know, hey, I'd like to die and go ahead and be with the Lord. But at the same time, 
uh, I'll serve you here. While I'm here, I know that's what, must be what the Lord has in mind. That's, that's His will for right now, so I'm going to serve you there. Okay. Hey, that's one example. We have to move on to the second one. Are you ready? That's Timothy. Now Epaphroditus. The one we don't hear too much about. But I'll tell you what. This is a man that you'd love to meet in heaven. One of these days we will. This guy's a full Gentile. He was a member of the Philippian church. This is who this letter is being written to. Epaphroditus is right there in Rome. And he's going to go with Timothy back to Philippi. Um, I thought it necessary for to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, one of those points. But um, here we have one who is representing the church who's sent to help Paul. And he almost dies out of that. And as he visits Paul, Paul says, okay, now you brought the gifts to me. Thank you very much. I'm going to have to send you back to your church now. And uh, we look at this man who's very balanced. I want to tell you, he does it all. <laughs> and he's equipped. He knows God. And he says, throw me out there. <laughs> Wherever you want me. Whatever you want me to do. And I don't see that he went anywhere special. He said, yeah, but I've never gone to college. I've never gone to seminary. And, uh, hey, listen, I, I, I'll come to church. I'll give my offerings. But there's nothing else I can do. Uh, well, look at this Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, member of the church. And he's willing to risk himself for the gospel. And that's what he does. And here he is called a brother of Paul. Not a literal brother, but a brother in Christ. He's a brother. Great fellowship. Super fellowship. He's a brother. He knows Christ. I know Christ. We're brothers. You know Christ? I know Christ. We're brothers and sisters. Right? We are related. We are a family. Family of God. Brother. Next, he's a worker. A fellow worker. Hey, I'm working. I'm out serving. Timothy's out doing that. Paphroditus is a fellow worker. Philippians 4.3 Same book. Different chapter. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the Gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers. We work out in the field of grace, folks. You ever heard that song? Field of grace? Beautiful thing. We're working in the harvest fields. We're working together. We are together. We're we're in the family. We're in the same family, and we're we have the same job. We're working, working out in the fields. Um, he's also called what? A soldier, a fellow worker, a fellow uh, his brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. We're in the same battle together. You know, we have the shields. We put those shields up together. We can't fight alone. We must put those shields that come together and when you do that, you form a wall, right? The enemy's shooting at us all the time, but when we are together, whether it be spiritual sense or a physical gathering, we know we're connected with that next shield and we get to be behind those shields. Thinking of, of Romans, as we fight, a soldier is a strategist. Hey, you know, we're not on the defense, folks. We are powerful with the Word of God. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us. It's not that the enemy is coming up against us with gates and fighting us with gates. We're going into enemy territory 
And the enemy's not going to win as we bring forth the victorious gospel. You know that? <laughs> Those gates don't have a chance. We're, we're barging in. We're bringing people into the kingdom of God, right? We are soldiers. And then he also says, a messenger. Man, Epaphroditus does it all. I mean, he doesn't specialize in one thing. He says, whatever needs to be done, he does it. Hey, can you do this? Yeah, sure. When? <laughs> Tell me. When? Where? What do you want me to do? Do it. Uh, the word there for messenger, it's interesting. The word is apostolos. That's the general apostle. There are the twelve, and Paul was considered one who was the last be, the, to be placed into that. Those twelve, the special ones who wrote Scripture. Um, Paphroditus didn't really write Scripture, but he understood it. And he lived it, and, uh, and he gave it. Um, but he's a messenger. And so in the general term of apostolos, it means to be sent forth, and that's what he did. He was sent forth. I have a message. So I asked word but I have a message. I have good news. I want to tell you about this good news. I know you got bad news. Here's the good news. And he's also called a minister. Dealing with liturgy, actually. He's a worshiper. And um, he brings all this forth to them. Uh, gives them good news and it's almost like he's a go-between as he does whatever needs to be done between the people and uh, the rest of the ministry and especially God. The question that we have is this. <laughs> you don't mind me asking questions, do you? We, we should ask ourselves this question. This is what I'm asking myself. Are we ministering to others? Are we causing others to worship God? Right? Are we doing that? Are we ministering to Christ's suffering ones? There's people out there suffering. Are we ministering to them? There are people out there that are poor. Poor in spirit. Poor in physical things. Are we ministering to the poor? There are sick out there. The literal sick, spiritual sick. Are we ministering to them? There are prisoners. Are we out ministering to the prisoners that are physically behind the bars? Be praying about that. How can how can we do that? We've done that before. Uh, there are spiritual prisoners in bonds. Are we serving them? Are we giving them a cup of water? Are we giving them something that they can eat and and take of as they put out their hands and they're empty and we have something to give them? Well, here's Epaphroditus, and here's what he did. We've already seen the titles of whatever it was. He said, "What do you do, Epaphroditus?" Uh, Whatever I'm supposed to be doing. Whatever needs to be done, I'll do it. Uh, I know whenever I took over Alpha and Omega, the store, uh, you know, close to 20 years ago, the people who owned it, I said, what all do you do? I, asked, you know, I, I said, what, what all is, is involved here? I know some of the things, but what are the other things? And I, I got one of the best advices I could have gotten. And he said, whatever needs to be done, do it. Profound. Whatever needs to be done, don't wait on anybody else. Just go do it. You see it needs to be done? Go do it. Or if you have a question on how to do it, ask somebody to do it and then go for it. Wow. Really? Yeah. you got a gift there. Somehow you know about it. Or if you say, I can't do this, but I, I know somebody that can. Maybe I can assist, but at least I can get it over to them to tell them and not ignore this. Ooh. 
Okay, he's a burdened servant. Are you ready? Well, I need to get moving on here. Ready? He's burdened. And we look at verse 26. Okay, look at this. Because he was longing for you all. This is Epaphroditus. He was longing for you all back at his home church. And he was distressed because you heard that he was sick. I find that rather interesting. People are so concerned about him, even in his sickness, that he's concerned about them that they might become spiritually sick. They're concerned about him who is concerned about them. Rather incredible. Uh, We need to be burdened. We have too many spectators and not enough participants. We have too many people in the stands who are really not running. Why is all this written here? Was it just about Epaphroditus and Timothy that we say, wow, those are two great men of God. That's pretty cool. (laughs) I tossed this out for you. These are our examples. These are models. Don't quit. Keep letting the Lord shape you. You're not done yet. He had a burden. He had a burden for these people. He had a burden for Paul, didn't he? He had a burden for Paul. He came all the way to Rome, risked his life. He says that in verse 30. Came close to death, work of Christ, risked his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. He says he wanted to complete what that work was. He had an offering. He had money sent from Philippi and, and, and gifts and what have you to Paul. And uh, you can die. You know, shipwrecks and all sorts of different things. Whatever it was, uh, he became ill, became sick. But he's willing to do that. And now he's going to go back. He was burdened for the church. They were distressed over his sickness. He was worried because they were worried. <laughs> so they're worried now. He's worried about them. And uh, he toiled, he troubled, he exhausted himself. He became seriously ill. He went beyond his physical strength. wasn't anything left. Almost died, came near to death. He was willing to risk his life. Matter of fact, when you see the word risk there, as you advance on down, we're, we're just moving right there in verse 30. He gambled his life. He gambled his life. That's how you could translate that statement. He gambled his life to go and help the Apostle Paul. He's going to gamble his life as he goes back to the Philippian church because he longs for them. He has affection for them. Look at Philippians 1.8. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Does does Christ have affections for us? We can't even put it into words what that means. True, genuine affections that's beyond us. What kind of love is this? What kind of foreign love is this? These affections He has for me, I can't even understand it. I mean, this goes outside my thinking. Paul has that because of the love of Christ that's in him for them. And now, Epaphroditus has that same kind of love for them. He just is not a doctrinal head. He's putting his head to use. Doctrine does no good if you don't put it to use. does no good. Matter of fact, it causes damage if you don't put it to use. It causes great damage on yourself and then others. It's to be put to use, just like this. Now his only desire was for those people in Philippi that they, you know, that hey, this I want you to know about my affections here for you. Uh, I really care for you. He didn't care about how ill 
he was, and about them knowing that, he, he's concerned. I wish they didn't know how ill I was, that they're so worried about this. All oh, the selflessness that he has. He's a blessing to everybody, isn't he? He's a blessing to Paul. He's a blessing to the church. Uh, the servant should receive honor to the glory of God. We read down here, verse 38 or 28, Therefore I send him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, that I may be less concerned about you. I have to be concerned about you. And, uh, you know, he's sent and uh, you're there. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy. Have you seen a three letter word there? Joy. Joy. Are you joyous? There's another key term. Are you joyous? Are you happy in the Lord? Say amen. Are you happy in the Lord? <laughs> Hold men like him in high regard. Why? Well, because he nearly died for you. Put him up in high regard. See, he's supposed to do that. Well, absolutely. Put the Lord in high regard and then put His people in high regard. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. But we request of you, brethren, I'm asking you this, I request you this right here, that you appreciate those who diligently labor, strive, toil among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. I want you to appreciate them. That you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Okay, so what do we have here? There's a blessing. He's proving to us that both Epaphroditus and Timothy teach us to submit ourselves to the Lord and to one another in the Spirit of Christ. Well, we have to round it up. You ready? We're done. We're done. Okay. These are some of the finest qualities of a Christian servant. If you want to know what a servant is about, just read what we just read here today. Uh, what character they had. You see, you can be a good Christian. You can be one who always is um, attend, attending church well and Bible studies and gatherings and such. And that's a good thing. You can be very righteous in Jesus Christ, and if you're in Christ, you are. But these qualities are not the fruit of you. It's not something that is seen. And it's the difference between a piece of coal and a diamond. Which would you rather have if somebody said, hey, you can have either or. Take your pick. Would you pick the piece of coal? Or would you take the diamond? Kind of obvious, isn't it? How about a daisy? That's pretty nice. That's cool. Those daisies are cool. They're boring after a while though. Or a rose. Which would you rather give to somebody who you value highly? You got a, here it is. You've got a dozen roses here. You got, here's a daisy you can give to them. Which would you rather give? What are you? Uh, are you that rose? Are you that diamond? And that's the difference that we can be as Christians. We can be a daisy. We can be a rose. That's the difference between one who's just escaping through the flames and they just get in by the skin of their teeth. It's all by the grace of God, but there's nothing there. There's no fruit. Everything is all burnt off and they really don't have anything but the grace of Christ. And that's good. Hey, I just, I just want to be a janitor in the kingdom. Yeah. Or you can be a glorified saint. Sweeping through the gates with an abundant inheritance. 
as Peter says, into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, busting in there with all that God has given you and that you have used and He rewards you. Let's pray.